It's that time. Welcome to the Time to Man Up podcast. And here's your host, Sean Hess. We are glad that you are with us for today's episode of the Time to Man Up podcast. Today we are continuing a pre-recorded interview that we had with Doug Jackson concerning the life lessons that he learned during his time on the Appalachian Trail. Doug and his brother Ken hiked all the way from Maine down to Georgia, 2,200 miles, the entire length of the Appalachian Trail. So again, we are glad that you are here with us, and we hope that you enjoy this episode of the Time to Man Up podcast. I think it was the second trip we went to the AT that you weren't able to go, I think, and maybe uh, Alan led that trip. But there was a little point where we went off the path that was through that narrow gap, and instead we did bouldering. And uh, talking about pointless up and downs, we had one individual that clearly saw that as pointless up and downs because <laughs> we start going up those boulders and we just hear somebody not having a great time. Why did we go this way? What are we doing? And I think it's those things that when you're initially going through them and it's hard and you're getting your shins beat on and, and your body's just hurting and you're lugging that backpack up there, but you get to the top. And I remember when we got to the top, we kind of just like, sat there together, had some food up there, and uh, you get to the top, and probably at the time he wasn't saying, hey, this is going to be worth it. But when you do get to the top, you're like, okay, that wasn't great. It was hard. It was difficult. But I've always told my kids, if it wasn't difficult, everybody would do it. Mm -hmm. if, if you're doing something in life, men, and you find it difficult – there's a reason why sometimes you may feel alone because if it was easy, everybody would do it. But you have to look at that challenge and understand that those ups and downs, God has a plan in all of that. And what he does is he brings you out on the other side with a testimony. You see, Doug, Doug can talk to anybody that's done any portion of the trail and he can say, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Why? Because I've been there because I've been there. I can't do that. I can talk about a couple sections on the trail and I can say, oh, I've been here and I've been here, but I haven't done that. And in life, when we go through those challenges, whether physically on a trail or just life challenges, we're able to sympathize with people and show them empathy because we've been there and we've done that. And Doug and Ken along this trip had a lot of challenges, a lot of physical challenges, a lot of just discouragement that can come on that. And so Doug used Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born up for adversity. Now, Ken was his brother already. But dudes, you guys know that that is totally true. I mean, that is a true statement from the word of God that when you go through difficult times, we'll hear this, you know who your real friends are because in those difficult times you throw, you, you form brotherhood. So Doug, I'm going to give you two situations here and you talk about them in the order. Cause I'm not sure what order they come in, but the first one is your experience in the smoky mountains. Uh, during the winter. And the second one is the White Mountain National Forest. I believe that was the real dangerous section of the trail. And so share a little bit about, because those are two areas that, even though I don't remember the order, that, man, when you shared those, I was like, I was overwhelmed with, man, you talk about adversity that brings you closer together. Uh, that's why you and Ken can have a bond that not all brothers have because you've been there. Yeah, Mount Washington is in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, and, and that was the second state that we had crossed into. So we were out of Maine. We are in New Hampshire. We'd been on the trail for a little while, but the, Mount Washington has the highest recorded land wind speeds. 
and it can get very dangerous and many people underestimate how dangerous it can be so they'll take a, a car ride up or a train ride that goes to the top of the mountain and you know they'll leave the bottom in shorts and a t-shirt and at the top they realize that it's dangerous conditions with the, the temperature drop and the wind so high but as we uh, traversed across that that part of the trail and that mountain range what happened was a terrible storm had blown in and we could not see really just our hand in front of our face. It was so uh, dense and fog and clouds and cold and wet as well. But the, the trail through there has piles of rocks that mark the trail because there are no um, trees that are standing. It's above tree lines. So yeah. you, you can't paint the white blaze on trees. So they pile these rocks. Well, we couldn't find those piles of rocks. Uh, we couldn't see the next one as we stood at one. So literally one, one of us would stand at the pile where we were at the other one would go out exploring until they found the next pile, which was really like crawling hands and knees across the rocks until you got out and finally found the next pile. And then holler at the top of your lungs above the, the sound of the roaring wind mm -hmm. and holler out to the next one. I found it, you know, follow my voice. And we would literally just kind of leapfrog rock pile to rock pile, following each other's voices to, to find our way across. And we, we finally, we heard this slam and we we're like, what, what is that? Uh, in the White Mountains, there are shelters that are called huts. They're actually four-sided shelters with staff at them and they accommodate guests. Um, for a thru-hiker like us, we didn't have the financial means to stay at these. They're kind of pricey and right. nor, nor would we necessarily be welcomed as a guest. We stunk, you know, we weren't, we weren't their average guest, but yeah. we got to this shelter and, or this hut we heard the door slam, we didn't even see it until we were right up on it. And we went inside to, to the shelter and the staff uh, that were there said, oh, we're so glad to see you here. We have to send staff out on rescue missions. Uh, there's too many people who are lost up here. We've gotten reports of lost wow. hikers and some in medical emergency. And they said, can you help us with our guests here? So we helped check people in. We helped preparing food for the guests that were supposed to have a meal there. Uh, we found out that night that actually there was a, a death of one of one hiker wow. on the trail. And so we were a part of really rescuing many with one loss that happened uh, while we were there. But it was amazing to be a part of that. And the brotherhood that we have, like you said, coming back to what that brotherhood is in that time of adversity, we followed each other's voices to get through that. And and that is a sign of you know commitment to each other and commitment to surviving life together because one without the other wasn't going to make it very easily right. so it was a lot easier to overcome that with the two of us uh, working together as brothers doug is that where you also had lobster or something do i recall right or was that another <laughs> so a, a a relief crew had been sent up to that hut because additional staffing was needed and and the relief crew that came up actually brought lobster with them so they packed it in and because we were a part of the crew, they invited us yeah. to eat, eat with them. So the guests were not eating this, but the crew were. And we were a part of the crew, and we actually yeah, had a lobster dinner that night, which was a great reward. Oh, yeah. Uh, neither of us even liked lobster until that night. But there was <laughs> no, nothing tasted better than that. Oh, that that's night. so amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what Doug shared about that section of the trail is why only 25% complete it because it's not easy. And, and I feel that Doug and I have learned this with men's ministry guys, is that a lot of you start out with good intentions. And a lot of you say, I'm gonna be the best dad, I'm gonna be the best husband, I'm gonna be the best employee at my job, I'm gonna be the best guy, leader in church. And you start out with amazing intentions. But along the way, whether it's distractions, or you haven't gotten off the things in your life that hinder you from running the race but somewhere along the line you don't finish it you find it easier just to check out and there were times that for Doug and Ken I'm sure that it would have been easy to just go get a hotel and stay there and you guys know this the longer you stay in that hotel the less likely you are to get back on the trail yep. and because you start realizing what you're missing but you forget about destination, where that journey is going. So I just want to challenge you guys on this. And then I want, I want Doug to share about uh, Tennessee because, man, Smoky Mountains was amazing. But um, the journey isn't easy, guys. 
but you got to stay the course. And that's why Doug talked about that one of them, Kenner himself, had to be up. If you were both down, you were in trouble. Somebody had to be up to pull the other one along. And uh, if you're both up, great. But at any point in that journey, if both of you are down, you risk failure. Guys, that is even more so true in life. Men, God never intended you to do this journey on your own. So you need other men in your life that are encouraging you, that are challenging you. And one of those reasons is this Smoky Mountain story because uh, though, Doug, I've seen snowshoes before, I've never in my life had to use them, and you had to. Yeah, when we started planning for our trip, we thought, well, we're, we're hiking south, and the south is warm. You know, we, we were, uh, I think, just deceived of how it would be in the south. We thought Georgia, peach trees, Tennessee isn't far from Georgia. It's surely going to be warm. Uh, that particular year, 95 into 96, uh, if, if you were alive during that time and you remember that year, uh, we remember it well, but a blizzard hit the East Coast and it shut much of the infrastructure down. I mean, even the city of Atlanta was closed for like two weeks that there was just no traffic and it was a big deal. Well, we were hiking during that time and, and temperatures up in the mountains was very, very cold, especially with wind chills. But even more so than the temperature was the snow. And we had four feet of snow drop in the Smoky Mountains right before we were wow. going into that national mm. park. Well, Smoky Mountains, you have to have a backcountry permit to to spend the night out on the trails of the national park. And so we had stopped at the ranger station to get our backcountry permit. And they said, we, we can't give you a permit. All trails, all roads are closed uh, until we have access into the into the park and we can get our own you know staff and vehicles in in case there's an emergency. And we said, well, you know, we've walked 1800 miles to get here. Uh, we've been on the trail for this long. We're prepared to go in. Will you give us a permit? And they said, you know, we will, but you have to understand we cannot get to you if there's any problems. We need you to check out on the other side, on mm -hmm. the south end of the Smoky Mountains to let us know that you're out alive because you will be the only hikers in the entire national park. It's amazing. And, you know, as, as cool as that sounds, it's also a little freakish because oh, yeah. you get in there and you're like, there's nobody here. We have an entire national park to ourselves. And uh, the first steps aren't too bad because, you know, you can turn around. But as you keep going deeper and deeper into the national park, you realize you are completely alone. Well, hiking through four feet of snow requires snowshoes. Otherwise, you just do what's called post holing. Your foot goes down too deep. So you spread the weight out on your snowshoes so you're not going down as deep. And, you know, Ken, Ken was amazing. He just took it upon himself to be the lead guy and, and he would pack it down. Now, the only entertainment that we had, because again, we didn't have MP3s or right. iPods or streaming music, you know, on our phones. Uh, I had purchased a little AM FM radio so I could get local stations. My brother had an AM FM radio with a cassette player on it. That was high tech. And the cassettes, well, we didn't have access to them. So in those mail drops that my parents, our support crew would send out, they would send out a new cassette and then he would send his old cassette back home and the, and whatever supplies we were mailing home. Well, he had Garth Brooks greatest hits <laughs> and he just listened to it on repeat and he would sing it out loud all day long. But you know what? Like I had to just put up with it because he was the guy in front who was just breaking <laughs> through the snow all day long. And it took about twice the effort, but he was amazing pushing through. But that's where, you know, I, we're using the same analogy of a brother. A brother is there for time of, of, mm -hmm. of adversity. And when you are breaking through snow, when you have a, a really challenging path and you just need somebody to guide you through, you have to be willing to fall in and, and get behind them. Sometimes you want to be that leader. You want to be the guy who overcomes the challenge. You want to be the guy who has others behind them. But other times you just have to follow in and... Uh, know that there are people there who are stronger, who are ready to take on that challenge and, and allow them to do so. That can be hard as a man. You're like, I, no, I got this on my own. I'll take the lead. But, you know, in this, he had a, a particular ability to do well in that role. And I had to find my place and, and back behind him and be the support that said, all right, man, let's keep going. You can do this. Right. <laughs> That, that man, that, that's just amazing to think of that challenge of you guys going through there 
but again, like you said, it's that brotherhood that we continue to form in those difficult times. And sometimes, and Doug and I know this to be true, sometimes you're walking through those times with somebody that's having a difficult time. Sometimes somebody's walking with you through that time, that difficult time. But then there are times like Doug had where you're both going through it at the same time. And uh, it will either break both of you or you will encourage people through it. And uh, as we've talked about in the past is that, guys, there are sometimes we can't fail, that we've got to press on because there are so many people depending on us. Now, in Doug's situation, they were depending on each other to, to get through there. But in life, there are often many people that are depending on you to stay the course, to keep going, and you've got to be able to do that no matter how difficult it gets. There was a, a story, and I, I might slaughter it here so you can build on that, but isn't there a story about a place that you stopped and they had like a hot tub that was, uh, I don't know how much of really a hot tub. When our guys hear this, they're going to think, oh, a hot tub, how hard was it out there for them? But share a little bit about that place that you stopped at. I just remember that in my mind all of a sudden, and I hadn't put it down. Yeah, you know, it's it's a story of perspective again, and oftentimes we, we judge others when we look at them. And this particular place was called Rusty's Hard Time Hollow. And I'll tell you, Rusty's Hard Time Hollow is not a place that it would be on the resort list of any travel agency. <laughs> uh, it's a backwoods type of guy. You know, the first sign you see is a no trespassing sign. You know, trespassers will be shot. Survivors will be shot again. That's the signs that he had up on his property. But he was also known to accommodate hikers, and he, he had a real passion for inviting hikers in to have some some recovery, some respite, just a good place to stay. And, and you became part of the work. So when we got there, we uh, you know split firewood or helped to cook meals. Uh, but we also got in return the ability to stay in this little homestead that he had. And he had a hot tub and we thought, man, a hot tub. And it was literally like a metal pail, you know, big enough, like a watering trough for a few people to get in, uh, set up on rocks with a, a fire pit built underneath it to heat the water. And that water was spring water and it was in the winter time and it was cold water that came in. But that hot, the hot fire underneath it heated that up. So we sat in this hot tub, you know, after getting the water good and warm with the fire and just we're able to soak away some of the, the soreness that we had. But, you know, any person who looked at that, that particular place where Rusty lived, they'd probably be very judgmental to say shack, yeah. no running water, outhouse, like that, that's not a place that I'm staying. But hospitality was so much greater than anything that you could uh, uh, judge based on appearance. And really we learned so much about that because even ourselves, we stunk. We looked rough. Um, you know, we went into some churches along the way. And, and that's the story I like to share, especially with churchgoers. Right. You have somebody walk into your congregation. You know, what happens when somebody walks in and they stink? You know, they haven't changed their clothes for a long time. Uh, they got issues. They look weird. Well, that was us. And, uh, you know, we had big beards, long hair. And our best clothes to walk into church was a rain suit. And so we weren't dressed up nice. And there were some churches where we felt very uncomfortable. They knew that we didn't belong there according to their standards, and we felt right. it. But I'll tell you, there were other churches that we walked into that said, hey, you know what? We're having a carry-in after church. Why don't you join us? And even some beyond that where a church member would say, hey, after the carry-in, why don't you come back to our house? And you can wash your clothes, you can get a shower, you can spend the night, and we'll bring you right back here where you got off the trail and you can start again tomorrow. And there is so much to be said about dropping the judgmental side of things, not knowing mm -hmm. what that person's story is, and the hospitality and how important hospitality is. And, and God calls us to both of those, to drop the judgment and to be hospitable. And I think those trail stories really help to paint the picture of uh, the importance of being a giver and receiver of those things. Yeah, because uh, in rewinding on the trail for you, uh, there was a gentleman that picked you up on the trail and took you to his home. Am I correct in that? Took you to his home for dinner? 
Yeah. Um, and I remember there was a story behind him. I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe you can fill us in on that. Yeah, Jackie was a postmaster, and we had stopped That's... into Jack Jackie's post office, and he uh, he had our package, you know, there. We had to show our ID, and we were getting ready to load up our supplies and head back out to the trail. But this was the coldest time that we had on the trail. I mean, so cold that. Uh, we were even a little scared of being asleep at night and not knowing if we'd wake up wow. in the morning as popsicles. With wind chills up on top of the mountain, it was about negative 60 degrees that we were mm. camping, in it, camping in. And Jackie said, hey, it's going to be another cold night tonight. How would you guys like to come back to my house? And we took him up on it. You know, it's always a risk. You don't know who Jackie is, but uh, he seemed Nor does like he nice... know who you are. <laughs> right, right. But he seemed nice enough, so we went back there. Well, we didn't know the plans that Jackie had for that evening that were his personal plans already. He was having the post uh, postal workers from that area to his house for a Christmas party. And he invited us to that Christmas party to actually celebrate with them. Uh, it was just a few days before wow. Christmas when we were there. So we got to uh, have a Christmas meal together with Jackie and his wife. Uh, we spent the night in his house. We did our laundry in his house. We showered in his house. And the next morning on the way back to the post office, Jackie took us back to the trail right where we had gotten off um, and, and we were able to continue south. But what a, a respite or a relief that was to be out of the cold for that night and to be treated just so well as strangers. Yeah, my first trip with Doug on the trail, it was so funny because we, in my mind, I'm thinking through logistics and we all went in one vehicle we, we park at the trailhead and uh, I'm thinking, wait, how are we going to get back to our van after we've hiked for four days? How are we going to do that? Well, Doug already knew the plan and the plan was this. Doug hitchhike. was like going to hitchhike back to, and I'm like, dude, we don't know where we are. We don't know people. And one of the funny stories I remember Doug sharing about being on the AT was when I believe somebody picked you up in the back of their truck, picked you guys up. And I remember thinking, this man has trust. <laughs> because I would have been thinking, where are they going to take me? And I believe yeah. they had taken you into town. I think you went to a laundromat to clean some of your clothes and that. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, you know, we would get to a road crossing and knowing that there was a town from that road, you know, some miles down it it was just not very motivating to have to walk off of the trail, sometimes seven or 10 miles into a town, and then know that you'd have to walk back out to the trail. None of that was productive in getting the miles of the trail completed. Right. But it was necessary to get supplies or to, to clean up. And so we, uh, we got to a road, one particular one that I remember well, and man, nobody was picking us up. Just cars going by, and it was a fairly busy road. Nobody picking us up. Finally, a, a dump truck pulled over. And he said, throw your stuff in the back, you can jump in. So we, we there's a little ladder there. It was actually because of the high walls of the dump truck. And we, we threw our stuff up over and we climbed in and we looked around and it was a manure truck. Now the manure oh. was dumped out, but if you know anything about manure, it also sticks around. Something. Oh man. It was a manure truck that uh, ended up taking us into town. But you know, that was a, a great lesson for us because we were praying. We were just like, God, let us get into town. Just right. provide a, a way for us so that we can get in there tonight. Because even the, the number of miles compared to the time of day, we weren't going to be able to make it in by night. And uh, just praying for a ride. And it was a great reminder that, you know, sometimes we have in our mind what the answer to that prayer is. You know, you're thinking, nice car, sitting inside, heated. Um, maybe that person is going to be the one who takes you home as well. No, nah, it was a dump truck that took us to the middle of town and let us climb right back out of the manure truck. There was no wow. extra hospitality, but <laughs> what an answer to prayer. I mean, we got into town, we got what we needed, and our alternative would have been a whole lot harder if we would have had to have walked in. So sometimes prayers are answered, just not in the ways that we expect. Yeah, because that's seven miles with a backpack. That's seven mm -hmm. miles with sore body parts, and and that's amazing. Uh, so before we kind of get to the coming to the end of the trail i want to one, one thing that i always think is neat and we've mentioned brotherhood we've mentioned that when we go through things we can relate to people when they go through things um just share a little bit about companionship on the trail i know that like when you would go to the uh, i don't know if every uh 
shelters like this, but they always had the thing where you could sign in your names uh, if you had been there, uh, which was really kind of cool to look where people were from that did the trail. But, you know, did you travel with other people on the trip? Did you connect with people that were able to, to do that? How about when you cross paths with people going in the opposite direction? Just share a little bit about that, that camaraderie that was out there on the trail. Yeah, the trail is a culture of its in and of itself. It is neat to be around a community of people who you know have the same goal and you're supporting each other. And especially when we started the trail, um, there was nobody around. You know, we started on a day where nobody else was starting the hike south, and and so we were by ourselves for quite a while. But after a little while, it was it was probably about August. Uh, we started June 15th, so we're clear into August at this point, where we actually connected with some others who were hiking the whole, attempting to hike the whole thing, going the same direction as us, and we we made up a little group. There were six of us total in the group, so we called ourselves the Six Pack. Just had a fun <laughs> ring to it, yeah. and uh, it was good because you would you know, get to camp and just wait for the, the rest of the pack to show up, or maybe they'd be there already and cheering you on when you got there. And, you know, one particular time we, we sat around in a circle because the food that you carry, it's not a lot of variety to it, you know, mac and cheese and rice right. and noodles. We each cooked up a pot of food and, and you would take a few bites of it and then you'd pass it on to the next person. That was our version of a potluck dinner, but the camaraderie that was there what you see though is it goes back to really that brotherhood and, and who is committed because even within that group there were people that fell away out of out of the six pack that we we called ourselves uh my brother and i were the only two that that had completed that the other four okay. ended up dropping off at some point wow. along the way now we had another hiker that ended up um following behind us and reading those trail registers that you were talking about those notebooks that were left in the trail shelters and seeing that we were still ahead and it was a female hiker and she had started with a male hiking partner and that male quit in the very first days of her southbound hike and she wow. continued to uh, push forward trying to catch up with some of the other southbound hikers and she was on our heels from Maine all the way down to Pennsylvania it took her clear to Pennsylvania to catch up and uh, she had her own challenges along the way that kept her slowed up as well she hung with us for uh, the rest of the trip, really most of the rest of the trip she was around. And it was good to have a, a third person simply so that we could tell our stories again. You know, Ken and I got really tired of each other's stories. We'd heard them all. We had right. told them all multiple times. <laughs> so it, was kind of, it was kind of fun in that sense. But community is, it, it's awesome to have around. Uh, I would say it's an important part of life as well. You kind of look at your spheres of influence and how those go out from maybe your, your spouse who's going to be in that closest circle um, to those family and friends who are the next ones you may call on. And then it goes out from there into other uh, layers of friendships. And I, you know, I go back to that closest circle and maintaining the value of the relationship in those closest circles, uh, still realizing that there's value in those circles outside all of those people added to our story and, and we really uh, loved and have maintained relationships over the years with some of those people. But it's the, it's that closest circle as well. That just is really the most important one. That was going to be my question for you is have you kept contact with anybody that you either did the trail with or came across on the trail? Because I'm sure when you do something like that, you can pick up like you saw them yesterday kind of thing. Yeah, you know, many, many friendships are formed on the trail. We were fortunate to, to gain a few of those friendships, one particular couple that took us in. They were also through hikers. They lived near the trail. Uh, they allowed us to stay at their house, and we kept in contact with them up until they passed away just a few years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, They're a little older, so I was sad to lose them. Uh, most of the others have not, we haven't been able to maintain the relationship for 27 years. There was, there's definitely ones that we maintained for several years afterwards, but not yeah. nearly uh, this long. The one, the one that has stood the test of time and, you know, I'll, I'll admit partially because he's my blood brother, he is family, but, but also the, the bond that was formed through the adversities and through right. living that challenge together. It's, it's Ken and I for sure. Yeah. And so Approximately 25% people that start the trail fail to complete it in a year. You know, maybe they come back later on and pick it up from where they left off because when you can do that, you can pick up the nice times of the year to do those sections of the trail. So it's a little easier, but when you do that through hike, 
Um, only 25% of the people make it the entire way in one year. And so you're coming up on the, the, the finish line and, and, that last week, what was that last week like knowing that you were getting closer? Did you have any of those where you come up over a peak and you look out and you still feel like you got tons of space to go? What was that last bit of the trip like? Yeah, you've been out there for so long, so probably an appropriate place to talk about how many days it, it took us. Uh, 241 days is what our journey was on the Appalachian Trail. That's eight months worth of time, okay. longer than the average hiker. Um, Average is now less than six months. Uh, okay. The time that we did it, it was still even at a six-month average uh, back in 1995 into 96. Um, but we took longer than that because of some of the challenges we had with medical on Ken's ankle as well as we had some fun along the way. But you get down to those last days, and really it, it speaks to seasons of life. Um, we all come across seasons of life, whether that's you know, leaving, leaving home for college or whatever the next phase is when you leave home to have, getting married, to having a child or a family, um, and then retirement. You know, there's, there's season, seasons of life that we walk through. This season of life was coming to a close, mm. and it was a little scary because of the unknown of what that next season of life was going to bring. And for us, we really contemplated, well, do we just turn around and hike north? could do the whole thing over again yeah because even through all the challenges of it it became familiar and it's what we knew so to step into the next season that was unfamiliar it was intimidating but we uh we had become so accustomed to not having the the rushes of life and the expectations we didn't have alarms that we set we didn't have bosses to report to we didn't have great grades in college or school that we had to maintain it was really a pretty simple lifestyle. And that simple lifestyle is one of the values of something that we learned out there as well. The more simple you can keep it, um, really the easier you can focus on the learning and the journey and the joys that are there. Sometimes we complicate our own lives by just adding to it, whether it's you know adding things to it or activities, uh, we complicate it. But I tell you, we, we, we got near the end we were eating our last bowl of oatmeal on the last day as we got up. We calculated how many uh, boxes of oatmeal we ate. So you think about a box. Oh, I can't imagine. You know, 10 packages of oatmeal in each box. We ate 200 boxes of oatmeal on the trail. Oh, uh, man. Burning, burning 7,000 calories a day just right. because of the physical activity of it and still not gaining any weight, actually. We were able to maintain fairly well, but we just always packing on calories. And, you know, you get up to the top and it was emotional. It really was. It still yeah. is to this day. You think about all that went into getting from point A to point B and all that God did to, as a part of that. You look back. Oftentimes you miss the blessings when you're in it. It's not until you look back that you see what you learned and what you experienced and what you were blessed by. But uh, looking back on it, you, you just become very introspective in that. I think that that's a good place to be in a healthy place for the changing the next season, but it was certainly going to be a change as we left the Appalachian trail. So when you see your mom and dad at the end of the trail, did you have any thoughts back to that first day when your dad said, this isn't going to be the last time it's difficult because <laughs> my mind would have been flashing back instantly to that of a pops. We made it. And when you, yeah. when you saw them, what were you thinking? You know, we were we were blessed and still are to this day. Our parents are supportive. Uh, when we were on the trail, they actually had shirts made up. They were embroidered, and it said Surefoot and Wiseman Support Crew. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, they were wearing those that day. So they had, they had found a way to make it to the top of Springer Mountain, kind of like what you talked about earlier. There's, there's roads or side paths that can get you there. And uh, I think they had to walk about two miles from where they were able to get the car to get to the top of Springer Mountain, Georgia. And both mom and dad made that trek to be standing on the summit of Springer Mountain. Uh, We had told them a few days in advance what day we were going to be ending. We had planned a time that we would meet them there so that they could be there. And uh, sure enough, and you talk about, you know, being able to see what a supportive parent is. they were there for every step of the way. They, yeah. they waited by the telephone for the call because voicemail wasn't even a thing. 
many times they just stayed home waiting for the telephone to ring and it could be days before we were able to make a next call. Um, they sent out our supplies, but they were, they were a blessing all the way through. And to see them standing there to celebrate with us, I tell you, when you've got somebody to celebrate victory with you, you know you're a blessed person. Right. Yeah, that's, and I think that's, it's so important in life, guys, to celebrate the victories. Amen. Because I, I feel that, and, and I mean, I'm guilty of this, and I'm guessing pretty much 100% of you that will hear this are guilty of this. We go through the journey, and we forget to celebrate at the end. Because what we do is we just move on to the next challenge. We move on to the next you know, difficulty in life. And we, forgot, we forget to just stop and say, God, thank you that you got me through it for the people that were alongside me when I went through it, for the impact you've made in my life, we forget to just thank God for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that was probably a pretty surreal time there when you made it to the end. And, and, and I wonder, because one of the things that I thought of, Doug, is, you know, when we would go on the trip, just separating myself from my wife being able to call me on my cell phone or whatever was a lot. Um, now I know you weren't dealing with that at the time, cell phone stuff and that, but for, for people today, sorry guys, you guys, we become so dependent on technology that we can't get off our phone. We can't get off our social media and we're always on something checking up ESPN updates, whatever, but you're doing stuff and there is something refreshing maybe even cleansing about hitting that trail even for four or five days. I mean, I remember when my family went on a cruise and we had no cell phone reception and we came off that and people were like, you know, how wasn't that horrible? And I'm like, no, that was awesome. It was just my family and I, nobody could disrupt us, bother us. And then what happened is we got back and we pull into port and you know what happens? My phone blows up and it's all these people that have been reaching out to me and I'm like, ugh. And so Doug, one thing that as you were telling the story of kind of the simplicity of where you were on the trail, um, two questions with that. Number one is, did you find life just overwhelming in that transition back? Um, with all the stuff then and all the responsibility kind of share with that. And then part two of that is what was the first food you wanted when you came off the trail when it came that time? So share a little bit about both those things for me. Yeah, it was, it was truly overwhelming. I mean, it took time for us to reintegrate back into society. Now, keep in mind that our journey, we had a lot of alone time out there where we weren't around the community of the Appalachian Trail. Uh, 90% of the people attempting to through-hike the Appalachian Trail start in the south and go north. So that only leaves about 10% of the people trying a southbound hike. So even statistically speaking, you're going to put yourself away from a lot of other people. Also, just the the amount of time that we spent out there and so much of that going into the winter where it's just not as traveled. Uh, We had a lot of uh, solitary time. And coming back into so much noise and distraction, I mean, these were the days of the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm. Um, You know, that was like a big deal that people were focused on. And we're like, we don't care about that going on. And um, coming back into it, it took time for us to even be able to go into those public places where there were a lot of people like going to the grocery store or the mall or something like that. uh, We had to work back into it because just the distractions and the noise, it was, it was overwhelming. We were used to quiet and slow pace, two miles an hour of hiking is a slow pace of life. Uh, Getting back into a vehicle and doing 60 plus miles an hour and rushing from one appointment to the other, completely different pace. So there was definitely a period of time for readjusting. I'm not saying that our lives are bad because we have things in them. Right, right. Don't get me wrong, but it is a great reminder that we place a lot of distractions in our life. And oftentimes those distractions get in the way of our time to see God's beauty, to spend time uninterrupted, being able to reflect on who God is and who he is in your life. 
those seem like deep questions and they are, but if you don't take the time to really sit in those questions and, and be uninterrupted as, in your thoughts about uh, what God means to you and thankfulness for his son and the, the salvation that we have through him, like you're going to miss some things as you're just rushing from one appointment to the other. So to Sean's point, even if it's just like a couple day trip or even if it's just, you know, sitting at home, but unplugging, turning your phone right. off and, right. and making sure you got that time, I, I would encourage that. Food wise, you know, we have such access to it. We forget that there's people in the world that don't. We had access to food on the trail for the most part. Sometimes we had to ration if it was taking a little while longer to get to the next supply point. But, you know, we had food available to us. It wasn't the food that I would choose and prefer. It was, you know, simple backpacking style. Like I said, Lipton rice. and It was lobster. Ramen. One time. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you have cravings when you're out there. Today, being at home, if I have a craving, I, you know, I drive to the wherever place I'm having a craving for and get it. Uh, We didn't have that luxury. But out on the trail, we had cravings for a particular place here in our hometown, Troy, Ohio. And there was no way we could get it. Even if we went into a trail town, we couldn't get it. And that local place is called K's Hamburgers. I figured that's what it was. <laughs> and, you know, we actually had it planned out that there was a, a welcome home gathering of family and friends and even people from the community. The mayor was there. Um, we put on our backpacks just a few blocks away from K's. <laughs> we parked Love down it. there with our parents. We had just we, literally rolling into town. That was our first stop. We put on our backpacks uh, and we hiked those few blocks into K's where we met with uh the local newspaper and, and the community and family and friends. And we had the best K's hamburger. Now these are our greasy burgers that are fantastic and, and French fries and chocolate shakes. I forget how many we ate, but I'm guessing it was a lot more than one that night because we oh, were still man. packing on the food, but it was a, it was a great way to come home. That That is so cool. And I'm sure Troy, that the people were really excited to hear and to hear the stories and to see you guys uh, with that. Now, I know for my son has been on a number of the trips with me that we went with the church, and I've always enjoyed that. I remember our last trip, we were staying at a shelter, and I stepped out to brush my teeth, and I stepped in a hole, fell over, hit my head on a rock, and I remember my my son had his friend with him, and his friend's like, are you okay? And I'm like, well, at least you ask. And, and, and my son was like, Dad, I knew you just need to lay there for a little bit. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're probably right, son. But uh, we're talking about hitting the trail and, and going on that. And uh, he probably is far more excited than I am. I'm excited just to do something like that with him. But I told him my only requirement was an air mattress this time because I always just had those thin pads which do nothing. And I was like, uh, for Christmas, he got some hiking equipment and some uh, a pad and different things like that. And I said, yeah, I'm not going without that. But that being said, I think one thing that I'll do, so if you're listening to this today, make sure to go to uh, www.timetomanup.com and go to the resource page. And I'm going to drop it. Doug provided this amazing checklist for just things you would need on the trail. And I know for some of you, you wouldn't even know where to begin in prepping for the trail. And I'm just talking a little four or five day trip, whatever it be. I'm going to lay that list out for you so that you can see some things. Again, it's not a cover all type of list, but maybe it'll just be helpful for you to understand because there are some things I didn't realize that would be good to bring. Um, And it was simple things like, putting duct tape around a lighter and things like that so that you had resources should anything happen. Uh, Because Doug, I know he has some great stories. We don't have time for for it on this one, but of the way that he utilized things on the trip when they had needs, whether sewing, things like that, um, it was really cool. So it was neat to hear those stories. But Doug, the question I have for you that would help the the guys listening to this is, is, what would you suggest for someone who was thinking about hitting the Appalachian Trail, uh, maybe with their kids, maybe on a men's trip for their church or something. Um, Is there a certain location that you would encourage? How many days? What are some thoughts you have that would help somebody that says, after listening to Doug, I want to do this with guys from my church or 
family members. Yeah, it's kind of like being a fisherman and you're asked where the best fishing hole is at. That's like a right. secret you don't give up. No, uh, the Appalachian Trail, 2,200 miles long. You know, there are so many good places along the trail. Um, what I would suggest, and, and with today's uh, resources online, being able to find trail guides and maps and and section sections of trails that are good is, you know, just do a little research for what it is that you're planning to do and then probably cut it down by about 50%. So if you think, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out and do 50 miles of the trail, I'd say, you know, set some realistic expectations because if you're out there to just slay the miles, uh, you're probably not gonna enjoy the time that's out there because you're gonna be too focused on, on right. just getting from point A to point B. So I'd say, you know, look for a place where you can get some logistics lined up, um, be it vehicle transportation or getting an Uber ride back to your vehicle or something like that. Um, look at what your elevation is and how other people are doing. Most of the trail guides now say, you know, beginner, intermediate or advanced, uh, depending on where you're at, pick, pick, pick the right level, maybe even bump it down a level so that you're sure that you're, you're ready for it. Uh, but 2,200 miles out there, there are some miles that are, they're truly the most challenging miles. Mm -hmm. I'd say don't go for those. Um, but there are a lot of miles. The Shenandoah National Park, fantastic ability to, to hop on and off the trail, fantastic yeah. accommodations along the trail. Um, so the national parks are definitely nice. It goes through the Smokies as well. But there are those other sections too that just go through small towns, Damascus, Virginia, great hiker friendly town with very good resources to pick you up and drop you off along the trail. And one of the favorite sections that we take our church out to many, many times. So right. yeah, look for those areas, but I would say wherever you live and wherever is closest to you, you know, just start someplace. And even if it's just one overnight, doesn't have to be four or five, just get out there and do an overnight and then build up from there. When it goes through 14 States, there's a lot of opportunities along the whole way. I, I, I read somewhere where, the elevation change over the entire Appalachian Trail is like summiting Mount Everest 16 times. And when you think about that, again, I don't know who measured that. I don't know. But with technology, they probably can do that. But you forget that it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. And sometimes people think, oh, going up is the hardest. Going down is hard. Because oh, yeah. you're trying to keep yourself from going too fast. My calves burn when I'm going down. And uh, it's just amazing, the, the wear and tear. But one thing I will say is this. The lasting memories that you have from time on the trail, uh, there was, I will call it a trail rites of passage of Doug's trip, where, was that the second night? or I can't, I can't remember what night it was. It felt like maybe it was, yeah, it was the second, because we went in the first night and on the short part of the trail, but where was the, the water? There was a little stream, and that's oh, the nice yeah. thing, is the cold streams are awesome. But you had to jump in that cold stream, and it was freezing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were some trips that we would take where you would jump in the water, and it would take your breath away. Uh, one to Shenandoah that we got under the waterfalls, and I thought I was going to, like, die because it just, my lungs just collapsed and it was so cold. But those are the lasting memories. Mm -hmm. uh, I still remember my son and Doug getting up the top of this waterfalls and they're sticking their head in the water. And I've got pictures from that. And when I show the pictures, people are like, oh, that's nice. Because if you ever looked at somebody else's pictures and they're like, oh, look at this. And you're like, whatever, you know, <laughs> but when you've been there and when you've done that, number one, you know, the picture never does it good service. It never looks as good as it really was there. But number two, when you see that picture, memories flow through your mind. And we had guys on those trips that it was so cool to see how God used those trips in their lives. And uh, through lessons that they learned along the way, through challenges, for some of them, they had never been on a backpacking trip, and man, they weren't ready for it. But to watch our men come around them and help them through it was awesome. So I love spending time on the trail. And remember, I'm not a trail guy. I'm a hotel hot tub guy. But I love those times because you get to know people in a way that you just wouldn't if you weren't on the trail. You get to know them in a whole different way, and you get a lot of funny stories about them uh, or even yourself. Uh, 
I, I, I tease and, and, and this guy knows that I would share this, but on one trip, I was tent mates with an individual who had some stanky feet and, uh, it was so stanky feet, man, that, that he hung his socks outside on our hiking poles because they were smelling and, but you know what? It's like this story of affection because having been through that, that's a, just the cool camaraderie. Uh, it's just, it's awesome because you never forget those times. You never forget throwing. Yes. I used to bring some soft drinks with me and extra weight, but throwing them in a stream and getting them out and drinking them out of the stream guys, that is so awesome. And if you're not out on the trail with guys, you don't get those opportunities. And so it's really cool. cool. So Doug, man, I just want to thank you for sharing your experiences. I, I do want to give you an opportunity. If you have anything that, that, that we've missed, is there, are there any final thoughts that you have just concerning the trail? You know, for me, looking back over it, um, it's hard to pick one story or another. My brother and I, every time we get together, a story comes back up. Sometimes are ones that are buried deep and we haven't talked about for a long time. Other times it's the story of, you know, our parents dropping us off and this isn't the last time it's going to rain. Um, but it's not one particular story. I think it's the same thing with life. It's celebrating all the way through and uh, into the future, those accomplishments that you've had. And it doesn't have to mean that you have made it from end to end of the Appalachian Trail to celebrate an accomplishment. It can just be celebrating the overnight that you had out there, the fun times that Sean has described. Um, it can be with a group of all men. We've done it with men's ministry. It can be with your family. It can be with a group of yeah. mixed company. But, you know, making memories and celebrating God, I, that's that makes life so much more enjoyable. Yeah, that is so awesome. And so... I, uh, again, pay attention uh, to uh, timetomanup.com. We'll, we'll drop those resources in because we want to help you be able to plan a trip like that. And uh, it's just it's a great opportunity for you and your family, for you and your friends. And, guys, if you're involved in a men's ministry in your church, I'm just telling you, you may not get a lot of people that sign up to go because we didn't have massive trips where we were loading tons of vans up with people going. But never was there a trip where I didn't get to know each one of those men a lot better. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't surface. Because remember, we've talked about, let's stop skipping stones. On the trail, you find out who people really are. Mm -hmm. And I, I still remember on one trip I was on, two guys were really struggling. And I don't know if I did this because I was the pastor or because I'm a nice guy. I still don't know. Might be a coin flip. I'm not sure. But they were struggling. And so I stayed back with them. And there was one point where they had no water. And uh, so I'm like, I don't know what to do. So with my backpack on, I jogged. And it turned out to be, we had to decide which way to go, forward or backward. And we couldn't remember how far the water was backward. So I said, oh, I'll go forward because it seems like we've been walking a long way. Man, it was about two miles. And I'm jogging and I'm hurting, and I finally get to the water. We get to a shelter where we could find water, and I got filled up the water, dropped my backpack right there. I'm like, if anybody wants it, they can have it. Jogged back and got them the water. They were able to get through, but, and I'm sure Doug can attest to this. When you are with a group of men, it's about getting through it together. It's about not leaving one person behind. It's about making sure that when those guys come through. And so I remember one of the guys that was held back, somebody came and they thought they were doing a good, good thing. And they said, Hey, I'll carry your backpack the rest of the way. And I looked at him and I said, don't you dare. Hmm. And, and he was like, well, I'm kind of tired. And I said, don't you dare. I said, cause if you let him carry your pack, you're always going to remember that. And I said, you can get through this. You can do it. Why did I know that? Because a trip about two years before that, myself and another guy were lagging behind because we were dying. Came to a little water spring, took our backpack off. And Doug, you probably know this from your trip. You get so refreshed and you think, oh, I'm ready to go. 
But the minute you put the backpack back on your back, right. you hurt again. Yep. But I had another guy that was with me, and we were both struggling. And we both made it to the end. And here's a funny kind of conclusion story to this. Doug wasn't on this trip. His dad was. His dad is just amazing. And uh, his dad had gotten hurt the first day of the trip and couldn't couldn't continue on. So he went and stayed at another location. He took the church van and went and stayed at another location. And we still had another day of our trip left. But I was done. I told the guys on our trip, uh, me and the other guy, I'm like, that were really hurt. And I said, we're just going to set up a tent right here by the road. And, and we're going to stay here. And then when you find Steve, come back and get us. Okay, this was a God thing. We are standing there, and the other guy's like, yeah, we're going to go on. We're going to do the rest of the trail. Steve pulls up in the van. Every one of those guys was like, we're out of here. But the fact that he showed up at that spot at that time, I mean, we're on a trail. You're, to find somebody is unbelievable. And I remember thinking, thinking thank you, Jesus, <laughs> because I couldn't go any further. But what got me through that is being with men and being encouraged. So let me take the trail to life. God never intended you to walk this journey on your own, to navigate this path on your own. God brought me Doug. God brought Doug me. God's brought us other individuals in our lives to help us through those journeys, through help us through those difficult times and to celebrate the good times with us. If you are a man and you are lying to yourself and telling yourself that you can do it on your own, you need to be real because you can't do it alone. And God never wanted you to do that alone. So what I would say to you is this, find men in your life who have been there, who have done that, and who have been victorious, and they can help you get through that. Because you need those people to come alongside you. And here's what's cool. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our time of need. But there's not a period there. What it says is he comforts us in our time of need, so what? So we can then go comfort other people. We can be his comfort to other people. When you go through difficult journeys, when the trail gets hard, when you endure, when you get through, you're now able to help other people. And I know this, Doug was able to encourage people later in the trail a lot different than he could early in the trail. Why? Because he had been through some things. Before he hadn't been through some things. But as he went through things, he became more and more able to help people. And that's the challenge for you today. And so here's some information. Doug, man, thank you very much. And uh, I appreciate your time with us. If you are interested in finding out more about the Appalachian Trail, you can go to uh, AppalachianTrail.org, and they will have information that you can find out about the trail, uh, just a boatload of information, of facts. If you would like to find out more about uh, Time to Man Up, you can go to uh, time two, that's the number two, timetomanup.com, and you can check out stuff there. Uh, we are working right now on a curriculum, a man-up curriculum that we can't wait to uh, introduce uh, to churches and allow them to do that together. And uh, we are just excited about what God can do in you, in your men's ministry, in your church. And don't hesitate. If you have any questions, if you're just needing to find some support, man, reach out to me. Uh, you can do that through the timetomanup.com, but reach out. If you're looking for someone to come to your church and share about that, reach out to me. We would love to do that. But Doug, man, we have had some amazing experiences on the trail. We've had some tough challenges on the trail. We've had some good, amazing things on the trail. But my brother, you took my life to a whole new level with that, and I am so glad that we've been able to do this. Sean, thanks for letting me uh, revisit the trail in my own mind as I got to share it with others. Thanks for bringing back all those memories of all the other trail trips that we took in men's ministry. It's been a huge part of life and doing it together, all those trips that we've taken. 
that's definitely a big part of it. I'm sure that some of you are ready to do the trail right now. You're ready to load up the car with all your backpacking equipment and hit the trail. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our time with Doug Jackson and the life lessons that he learned during his time on the Appalachian Trail. Make sure to like, to follow, subscribe, anything else you can do to get the word out for the Time to Man Up podcast. We are so amazed at how God is using this podcast in the lives of other men. It is just amazing to hear the stories. Thank you very much for you that have shared that. But again, make sure you like, follow, subscribe, and anything else you can do. We appreciate that so much. I also want to encourage you to be with us next week. We are going to finish up the four faces of men. Right now, we've already looked at the king face and the warrior face. Next week, we are going to be looking at the face of a lover and the face of a friend. If you've missed the first two episodes of The Four Faces, go back and listen to them before next week. That way you can be all caught up and ready to go. Again, we want to thank you for being part of the Time to Man Up podcast. Make sure to join us next week. Take care and have a great day.